The Trek Files, Season 8, Episode 19, Makeup Supplies, 1967 and 1968. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Trekophiles, welcome back. Trekophiles, spell with an F, that is. All you Star Trek historians and, uh, you, yeah, you background folks, you're going to love this. We've got a fun document this week, but you know what? It's, it's from the original series era, but it speaks to <laughs> one of the realities of backstage life when you're on the uh, production end of things. Uh, listen, just take a look right now at our document. It's, it is a fun one. It's right there at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the truck files. Now, here's an, uh, an audio brief from this brief memo, and then I'll be right back with this week's special guest. It's a returning guest, and you do not want to miss him. So take a listen, and then we'll be right back. Dear Fred, this memo is to confirm the fact that the Star Trek company will furnish eyelashes and nails for use in production this season to Nichelle Nichols. Due to the fact that we are furnishing these supplies, please make sure that the eyelashes and nails remain in our possession at the end of each shooting day. Regards, Bob. So, Trekophiles, for all the glamour and all the storytelling and all the gee whiz special effects, these are the nuts and bolts of, of everyday life at the studio. So, I hey, there is no one I can think of who is better equipped to talk about uh, his domain and probably some others of everyday life at the studio than uh, we've had him on before. I just love talking to him. He's such a great guy to talk with. Nicest guy in Hollywood, I say, and a living legend. Oscar-winning, Emmy-winning makeup guru, Michael Westmore. Michael, thank you again for joining us. I said I was going to get you back, and I'm glad you could join us again today. I enjoy it. I really do. I know, and that's why I enjoy you enjoying it. Because, again, this is, like you said, your aunt worked on, uh, your Aunt Pat was uh, the hair hair designer, hair, hair yes. dresser, main hairdresser for the original series. So you've even got more DNA closer to Star Trek. There. And it is the 60s, and it's not your time of what we say, maybe the Berman era now. Um, but this is the kind of thing that everybody, no matter what, has to deal with. You were the department head for makeup. And uh, but all that kind of all the department heads had to deal with this kind of thing, especially when you interacted with actors. But anyway, you had the problems of just managing the department. Creativity's great, gets on screen, but you guys had to make you had to make the trains run on time. Well, we had to have everything ready, and it was uh, the problem. Normally, it would be worked out where you would have enough time, and then all of a sudden, some actor couldn't be there on Wednesday after one o'clock or something. And it meant, okay, we've got to change the schedule. And we're basically having three days to get something ready. You only had two. And that was my biggest situation. But I had enough, I'm going to say talent with me, sculptors and painters, and I could go in and say, we don't have the time we had before. So this sculpture has to be finished uh, today. 
by the time you go <laughs> home. And, and yeah. it all worked. I never, never had a situation of not having anything ready on time, except once. But there was the asking for something at 10 o'clock at night, and it was like impossible to do. So what happened? In, what do you remember the case? What show it was, or what I, I learned? Or what the next generation and Whoopi and uh, Q were sitting at the bar, and uh, Q says something to her, and she takes a fork and she jams it into the back of his hand, mm-hmm. and so Les Landau was the director then, and I get a call at home saying, "This is what we want to do. Uh, can you come back? Can you come in?" I'm going. We don't, I don't have a hand. I have a hand, but I can have it painted and ready, looking like a real hand in the morning or do it on a second unit. And so they designed the shot so you never saw the fork hit the hand. But I actually had a silicone hand that had they told me that at six o'clock or seven o'clock before I, you know, just left because there was nothing else to do for me that uh, it could have been ready, but it's the only time I can think of that I had to say, you know, no. <laughs> well, you had to say no, but it was a crazy late minute, last minute request. Yeah. yeah. Well, but that was still the channels working. I just like this is this this note from, um, again, we're talking about Bob Justman, who's legendary like line producer, who never got enough credit on the original series. Um, but talking to Fred Phillips here, who was, Legendary makeup director did, you know, Spock. John Chambers did the ears, but Fred did the makeup for Spock and everything else. Um, But they're talking about Nichelle's, it looks like this is like a negotiation point. Like they're going to, you know, if we're going to buy her stuff, her eyelashes and nails, just reusing nails kills me. But that's, this is the kind of minutia you have to get in, right? With, uh, with actors and with, and, and, and where, and because the money piles up on your budget then. The thing is, those things cost nothing at that time. You figure, what's a pair of eyelashes? I mean, even by the time I came in, when the, they were like $2.50 a pair. Uh, and I, I doubt if she would have done it every night. Maybe Friday night, she might have walked them off, off with a pair if she was going somewhere. And I wouldn't doubt that she still did. And Fred covered for her by saying that they were no good, because they won't last forever. You can't use them over and over and over again a hundred times. Uh, and this, I can't believe the fingernails, but because uh, <laughs> you'd have to keep track, not only keep track of them, you'd have to mark down the makeup artist would. Where do they go? You know, where? which one's the index finger? Which you know, the thumb you can find, the little finger you can find. It's the three in between that you got to, you know, mark. Um, and possibly, and you couldn't clean them so much because they're made out of plastic. And if you took acetone to take the old glue off, you'd melt them. So uh, there was. That's why this is such a bizarre. I was thinking all that. But so, but you knew Bob Justman. You worked with him that first year, if not I, earlier. And you knew Fred Phillips. So what's going on? Are they just being uh, paranoid? I mean, it, the stories about the original series, you know, when they cut their budgets and they were always penny pinching and always on the bubble. Is that just Bob being or was he a little um, bit of a penny pincher there? when you knew him i i think it, it was kind of like penny pinching but he's i think in bob's mind he was thinking that you know penny here and a penny there and penny there and that could be a dollar you know so and we could use the dollar over here where we really need a new another laser blast or something you know uh but bob bob was very frugal 
He was. Um, I ran in a couple of times, uh, you know, dealing with certain things on a character in a sculpture or something. And, but Bob was more, I want to say, um, old fashioned thinking mm-hmm. and, and very, mm-hmm. very frugal, uh, of which in his mind, it was his job to do. But uh, the, with, with me over the years of me, like working with uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Liza Minnelli and things, and talking about fingernails or eyelashes, it was like no big deal, <laughs> you know? So but, uh, I never ran into that. I, 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 yeah, well, now that would be movie budgets, which would be a little bit more yeah, with yeah. some, uh, yeah. But these things are nothing in cost compared to a trailer or the clothes they would go out and buy uh, for them. Uh, I only had really one instance. I would, I mean, I was never told not to give them to them or whatever uh, yeah. it was when it came down to makeup. Because after you've used makeup on people, you're not supposed to use it on other people. It's, it's uh, you know, became a health thing as far as mascara because you can transfer eye diseases by doing that. So I think it, it loosened up a little bit as, as time went on there. Well, this is a, this has been about, uh, you know, makeup pieces. I think you mentioned that sometimes the, with actors, the bigger problem was walking off with costume pieces from wardrobe. But um, do you ever remember anything um, ever really going awry that just gave you a headache as, as the department head? Like in the moment, you were talking about the one time they asked for something late, but anything, uh, you know, logistical? I, most of the time I had things. There was a, there was a couple of times uh, it's like going to the trouble of doing something and then having it uh, cut cut out. There was a, uh, a film uh, LeVar was directing, and it, it opened with this, these miners that come up from uh, down deep in the ground. And uh, Michael, my son, who was doing all the electronics and everything over the years on the Borgs and uh, anytime uh, data's, all of data's lights that he run. Anyways, he found these two little bulbs that flickered almost like a lantern and put them, I put them, built them into above the brows here. So when these aliens came up out of the ground, their face was illuminated down the front. Um, it, it's something that happened so fast, and I thought everybody would love it, that uh, I didn't get it approved. And it went up to uh, to Rick, and he uh, he kind of looked at it and went, nah, and so it didn't work. So these it didn't film. And so these two alien miners come up out of the ground, and their faces are totally dark. Now we've spent tons of time making an appliances for them to look like aliens, could not see them, just because these two little flickering things. So. Right, which is part of the plan. Which is part of the plan. Well, I wish you would share the story. We're talking about uh, you know trying to plan things and run a department here. Um, uh, by the way, um, I know you had that museum exhibit. That's it's in my YouTube somewhere. But I love the fact that you kept a logbook every day when you were trying to balance 
uh, just plan the crews and who's doing what and all of that. And you had that a page for every day of every shoot yes. for all those years. Yes. Uh, which is, but that's that's you know pre-computer tracking. But you just, which now it's a it's a lovely little icon. It's a lovely little uh, artifact. I, I have one of those books for every episode of every show that tells exactly who's working, what day, and then it would go down to where I didn't need a person's name, but it would say five Klingons or seven Vulcans or something. So I have records that tell me that exactly, and I kept them just in case there was a problem I had to go back. I don't, and I can't really think of an instant when I had to, but it was, uh, it was like clockwork at the end of the day, recording everything that was used that day. Yeah. Well, I don't know if if it was rough at the beginning and you just got the experience, but I know at least of more than one time when someone had to run a big alien shop for a major production and kind of poo-pooed the idea that this this is a major production headache that Uh, you did for 18 years and and even on a movie, say, movie schedule, and they run afoul and and they've got they don't have enough people, you know, they don't they, they don't have their timing down for scheduling. And it's the kind of thing that you did on a TV budget un- until you got movies to do, and you did all four of the next gen movies. Um, but that's a skill. I mean, you're you just poo poo that kind of thing. But I mean, you know what I'm talking about, it, right? It, it, to me, it just made my life easy. It was by keeping track of everything, and I also had a great big one of those boards with a sharpie you write on, and I had. Uh, I had it by the month where I could look at an upcoming show and I know exactly when I have to be able to start on the alien that's needed for that show if we're going to get it on time. Uh, I knew that, and they would always cut me down. They would, I, we would go into these budget meetings and they'd say, we've got this uh, massive Klingons and how many people do you need? And I would say, uh, say there's going to be 30 Klingons. And I would say, I need 15 people because everybody can do two. We'll work it out that way. We start at four o'clock in the morning and then there's a second wave that will be coming in at say six. So that means they've got two hours to get a Klingon made up. But in the production meeting, <laughs> it seems that Brad Jacobian would always say, can you do it with 14? And it was more of a demand than asking me and I go, yeah, we can. So what would happen is after they two, everybody got their two made up and I have an extra Klingon or two hanging around, some people were always faster than others. I'd grab two of those fast people and say, put this one together. So then they'd do a third one. But uh, so they saved a makeup artist, you know, time. And it always worked out because they never started rolling the camera right on time. Everybody's supposed to be there at seven. I might have had one or two. It was like, you know, 15 minutes late. Right. But they weren't really late because they hadn't really started doing anything yet. So never never really got hung up with them saying, you're holding us up. Yeah. Well, unit pro- and, and good on you. I was going to say, unit production manager Brad Jacobian there doing, doing his uh, Bob Justman homage. <laughs> yeah. Could you tell us, before we get away here, talking about production and, and things you do and disappointments, I always loved the story. People loved the Andorians. Of course, Jeff Combe helped make them in Enterprise yes. and bringing back the Andorians and even the radio control antenna. But that's not the first time 
Um, for one thing, we didn't see Andorians a lot in Next Generation. I kind of know the reason why, but I'd like to know like, where you were on that. But also, I know you tried to do something with Antenna early, and we see it on screen in third season. There's a couple of shows, Captain's Holiday and then, um, and then The Offspring, right. for Law, one of Lal's bodies. Yeah. But tell, tell us about what that was. That's, here's a temp for another time when you tried to do something that was very Star Trek-ish and it didn't work out. Well, it, it worked to the point of instead of having a radio controlled like we finally did, uh, I had dancing Christmas trees and I stripped the trees off of them and the little things that make the trees spin around and dance were actually mounted underneath the head here. Uh, At the top of the head, yeah. That raised the head up a little bit more than uh, whatever. And and then the wig went over the top of it. But with the little dancing trees, it actually it worked, but it really wouldn't have worked like we liked it to uh, if a person had to stand there in a scene and talk. So and that didn't happen until Jeff uh, came in, and then we uh, I had made fiberglass uh, skulls, and it was much thinner. These little wires that came up in the top, and we made antenna out of mm-hmm. latex, the same thing that Klingon foreheads are made of. And they could slip; they would slip right over it, and the uh, mm-hmm. and then they would be all controlled by a person yeah. off stage with one of the same little controllers you race cars with. Yeah, well, that's a case where your your reach was exceeding the tech. I mean, by the time just a few years later, uh, you had the tech catch up where it was it was doable, yeah. and it was so elegant and and beautiful. But I, that's why you can look at those Andorians. There's one or two, and you have to spot them. But I know we have no Star Trek sharp-eyed fans out there, but you can find them. But you, what you're saying, yeah, the head's a little elevated and, and the, the antenna are static because what somebody made the decision, they don't look good, so we'll just run them static and not try to animate. Uh, you know, the thing was, it was such... The sh- those shots were so quick that it didn't matter if the trees danced or not. It was uh, <laughs> the shots usually, there's one of them is one shot. I think you just barely see the start of the antenna and they didn't frame it, the camera to be able to see the whole head. Uh, so it's, it was, a, it, it was, it was disappointing at the time, but yeah. Rick finally told me that if you can't figure out a way to make the antennas, really work mm-hmm. we're not going to do it so that's what what the challenge became was to design everything design the, the fiberglass head uh all the wiring makeup effects lab i worked very close with uh and they would make the uh, fiberglass and they made the electronics for uh for the the Andorians. and so it became very very easy to put one together. And uh, and then Jeff's face and the other Andorians that we hired just had great faces. And they, they realized they could animate, that they weren't mm-hmm. static, that they, they could really move around and be bad guys. And, uh, and we also had developed at that point into having colored mouthwashes. So you could give somebody a squirt of either brown or blue or whatever color you wanted. And they put around, and uh, they could at least on a close-up 
so you don't have a ah, you know, big pink tongue. Big pink tongue. I had not heard that. That's that's amazing. Yeah. So simple. It's such a simple, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, wow. It seemed it's like all this big pink, especially the Andorians, big pink mouth. And it was just the blue would just tone everything down and mainly, you know, coat the tongue. Oh, Michael, I could sit and listen to these kind of stories. I mean, I have. I've had my time listening <laughs> to them. And you're such a good sharer. And a lot of this is in your book, Makeup Man. Yeah. Um, I, I just hope we have the chance to hear so much more of this uh, as it comes by. I know that your uncles would love to have had the technology you had on the shows just the same way now as the industry is evolving. And they've got so much so much finer and thinner and, and different tools today but like watching you all the years on face off it's whatever the tools and techniques are it's the creativity and also you have the ability to connect that with the organizational stuff and that's what's that's what's made you a star for star trek michael i'm just gonna say it <laughs> uh, yeah, the thing is, I, I enjoyed it it was literally like running a corporation that literally had to function every day and there, there wasn't any excuses that i'm tired whatever I, I even performed sick, you know. <laughs> Thank God it wasn't the virus that's going on now, but you know, uh, a cold or something. I still, uh, very seldom did I ever miss a day coming in. Well, and that's why you were there 18 plus years. And the years working two shows and a movie in the same year, too. Anyway, Michael, thank you again so much for coming by and sharing, as always. It's always a pleasure. I just, I just loved hearing from you, so thanks again. Larry, thank you. Always enjoy talking to the audience there, the Trekkies. I love it. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. Uh, that's me at LarryNimacek.com. That's where you can link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.